0: news that they've been set free from the power, the penalty, and the shame of sin, and they've been brought into a relationship with their Creator. God, I pray that that would be um, of first importance to us as a church, to see the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ uh, do what only it can do um, through by the empowerment of your Spirit. So God, I pray, um, I guess, for maybe two broad groups of people here this morning or maybe somebody that's listening. God, I pray for those that uh, you might have brought here this morning that may be occasional Sunday morning attenders or maybe every Sunday morning attender, but they have uh, yet to trust the shed blood of Jesus for the remission of their sins. And God, I pray that you would um, do that work of salvation in those hearts this morning. And God, I pray for those here, the many here, God, that have already professed faith in Christ, they've already uh, received a new heart, and the old heart of stone has gone away. God, I pray that we would be compelled by the love of Christ today. We'd be compelled by the gospel of Christ to take risks, relational risks, by uh, holding out the cross of Christ, by holding out the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we wouldn't merely be ones who have um, you with uh, maybe tattoos on our arms like I do or, or on the back of our vans like some others do. But God that our greatest witness would be um, after our life would be the proclamation that we would risk relationships by proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And we know God that we see in your word that people are saved by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I pray Holy Spirit um, encourage us uh, this morning to be uh, just uh, uh, instruments in your hands uh, for your glory and for the sake of the elect. And God's people said, "Amen." Good morning. Good morning. How we doing? How you doing? It's a great Sunday. It's a great Sunday. Ninety-seven degrees. It's a dry heat, right? 97 degrees. I was talking to John Williams in Surprise the other day, our church planner in Surprise, and he says the hottest day I remember in the last four years is, is 122 degrees. And uh, he says, you know, anything, like 108 and below it's okay, but he says like 110 and higher it's, it becomes suffocating. I'm going, man, I cannot even imagine 108. That's crazy. Um, so welcome. We're, we're continuing our sermon series through Philippians. Um, it's Paul's encouragement to the church in Philippi to, uh, to press on. And, and an encouragement it is that this is a church as we talked about that is uh, doing many things well and uh, Paul loves them. He's in relationship with them. And we're going to talk a lot today about relationship and missions. That's the title of the, uh, of the sermon today actually is the priority of relationship in missions. And I know there's um, something in this passage that is uh, for us as a church And I know there's something in this passage uh, for each of you today and your families and in your household um, that uh, should, this passage really should inform our strategy for missions uh, as a church and individuals. You know, there was a time when our family, um, Nancy and I in particular since we had the checkbook, where we uh, supported a number of different missionaries and missions agencies. Most of them were parachurch uh, organizations, Campus Crusade, Young Life, um, Navigators, and we supported these, these ministries because the people that were leading them we had a relationship with. John Nita, Tom Toomer, Dave Jones, uh, people that we, we knew and loved. Um, then it dawned on me that, that these particular ministries that we support, we, that we were, we were just sending them a check every month. That we really had no connection. We were friends with them on the front end but on, the, on an ongoing basis we had no ongoing connect with the ministry. I'd get an occasional quarterly newsletter. I never really um, met the people they're ministering to. Um, never really got a chance to look at their budget. Um, I was just supporting them because, um, because I loved them. And I think that's, that's not a bad place to start, but it, it doesn't last, right? It doesn't last. So We've got we've to have uh, an ongoing relationship with people we support. And I think you're going to see that in, uh, in today's passage. When, when, as I, back then, when I looked, started looking at the scriptures, when the Lord, um, I operated the first, um, 93, like 14 years of our marriage really not having a local church family. Um, I, I, I think I was in Christ. I'm not sure I was in Christ. My wife ju- had just come to Christ when we started understanding the beauty of the local church. The beauty and the priority of the local church. That, the, that God's best is that the local church actually send out missionaries. That, the, that, the local church, that, we, that we do it together. And the reason that, that para- good parachurch ministries exist, that I praise God for, and that we actually support as a church, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes is one of those. The reason they exist is because the church left a void. It's it's because the church didn't do their job. And so now we partner with these other um, good organizations. But when I started looking at the Scriptures like today's passage, I saw three mission priorities in Scripture. First is the priority of relationship in missions. The, The priority of relationship that is first informed by our relationship with God. And it gives to those that we're in relationship with. For the sake of those who are lost, having a relationship with the Father. The priority of relationship in missions is, uh, is paramount. The second is the, um, is the priority of gospel proclamation. We're gonna talk about that a lot today. That we, we want to both shine and share Jesus. We want to take care of people's um, social needs or their, their temporal needs, if you will. But if we are a church or you are a family that simply sends money to an organization to um, feed and clothe and house people, that's a good thing. We're called to do that. But there's no ultimately no gospel proclamation. That's not God's intent. That's not God's intent. It's good to take care of people and to um, to um, with with no strings attached. But if ultimately we're not praying that the gospel would go forth and that they would um, receive eternal hope, then that's not the heart of missions. Um, the third mission priority is the priority of being sent, not just going, but being sent. Um, There's a lot of what I would call um, rogue missionaries that are um, connected to a good sending organization, but there's no sending church. There's no accountability. There's no ongoing prayer. There's no uh, relational connection. Christians, every Christian, has been given the ministry of reconciliation. And we're going to hear that the ministry of reconciliation without the holding out of the message of reconciliation Is social work. It's it's not God's complete heart. Giving and going outside the context of a relationship is good, but it may not be best. Let me ask you this how do you decide as a family where to give your money, your times, and your talents? How do you decide who to give to? There are many good churches, there's many good missions organizations, there's very good, there's many good um, missions to support. And my my prayer is that this passage this morning, I, I see it so clearly, my prayer is that you see it as clearly as I do, that it will speak to some principles that will be helpful to you as individuals and to us collectively on where to go and who to invest in, where to go and who to invest in. Today we're going to see the priority of the church is mission, and the priority of missions is relationship, and the end of relationship is gospel proclamation. That ultimately serving people without holding out the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is the opposite of loving people. We can think through this gospel lens today through however you want to think through it, through your own life and your family's life, or you can think through it via the church's life. It's the same principles. I came across a definition of mission that I think is the best I've ever heard. Um, I don't remember where I read it. I knew I didn't come up with it. I'm not that creative. Mission is moving towards others as God has moved towards us. Mission is moving towards others as God has moved towards us. And we're gonna, this, we're, this passage is gonna speak to this a little bit. And I wanna just give you a, a really quick review. We're going through the book of the letter of Philippians. It's written by Paul. Paul is in prison. He founded this church. He has a dear relationship with these people. There's a relational connection to Paul and the church in Philippi. Um, it's important to know that Paul is in prison in Rome, that he um, doesn't know if he's gonna get out. It's also important for the context today to know that, that in that culture, prisoners were not cared for by the state, that their food and shelter was actually provided by, by people that knew them. So that actually will give you, you'll see, it gives us some context today. He's encouraging them to press on. And we saw a couple of weeks ago that the, that the centerpiece of this entire letter is Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, where, where Paul reminded us that not only is Christ our Savior, but He's our pattern. He's the example that we're to follow after, particularly living our lives on mission. And let me read it to you. Paul says, church, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And John says this in in chapter 1, verse 14, in a very similar way, he says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That praise be to God that Jesus condescended and came and lived the perfect life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserved to die. And that that gospel truth that saved us and brought us into a right relationship with the Father is the same pattern that we that we're being called to live out um, in this um, hopeless and helpless world that we've been called to. So here we are in Philippians chapter two, verses twenty-five through thirty. Last week we saw that Paul was going to send Timothy. Timothy is Paul's um, right hand man, his best. It's his, Timothy's his child in the faith Paul is better with Timothy next to him and we, we saw Paul tell the church in, in Philippi that I'm going to send Timothy to you as soon as I know my fate, as soon as I know if I'm going to die or if I'm going to be released, I'm going to send Timothy to you and I'm going to send Timothy to you so that he can come back to me and report to me all the things that God is doing in your midst then after Timothy goes and comes back, I'm going to come to you and that brings us to today's, today's passage and the NIV actually says this the best. It says, yet, or but, I have thought it necessary to send to you, or send back to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. You see, Paul found it necessary to send Epaphroditus back, which tells us, duh, that Epaphroditus at one point was at the Philippian church. Let's take a look at why Paul found it necessary to send Epaphroditus back, but let's first understand Who this masked man Epaphroditus is. And we're going to look ahead at chapter 4 verses 14 through 18 in just a second. And we're going to learn in this passage that the church in Philippi sent Epaphroditus, sent him, and the gifts that the church had gathered to Paul in the Roman prison. Philippians chapter 4, 14 through 18. It was kind of you to share my trouble, church. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, and Macedonia is a region where Philippi is located, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only, church. Even in Thessalonica, you, church, sent me help for my needs once and again. There's an ongoing relationship here, and there's a sense that the church in Philippi has a responsibility of taking care of Paul. Verse 17, not that I seek your gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And just, just a side note, um, we we see this in um, Acts chapter four through six. We see it in different places in the New Testament. But this this gift that was sent to Paul was gathered by the church. It was gathered by the church. That's God's best. That, 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 that missionaries be supported primarily by the church. Epaphroditus doesn't seem to be a pastor or a leader. He was a layman, just like, just like many of us. He, he wasn't a leader in the church. He wasn't a, a pastor or elder. We would have never heard of, of, of Epaphroditus except for Paul mentioning it here in chapter 2 and him again in chapter 4. Epaphroditus served in no public capacity. He did not shepherd a flock. He did not take the gospel to an unreached area. He did not receive special revelation. He did not write anything. All he did was faithfully fulfill his duty by delivering a bag of money to a man that had a gospel proclamation ministry. Yes, he took care of, uh, Paul was hungry and maybe needed some dry clothing. And they took care of that. But, but, But more important, the reason they wanted to get behind Paul is because Paul was making disciples. Paul was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to how Paul describes this man. He describes him um, as uh, this common man is one he will ask the church to actually honor. We'll talk about that in a minute. He called Paul brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. Epaphroditus was identified to the Philippians as their messenger and their ministry. I'm going to give you three principles here. Principle number one for missions is that the, the the, the priority of mission is relationship. The priority of mission is relationship. Paul says he's my brother in Christ. He is to Paul what the rest of the church is to Paul, but there's something even closer than that. They they have a a deep connection, Paul and Epaphroditus. Principle number two, the priority of gospel proclamation in in, uh, in missions. Paul calls him my fellow worker. It's Paul's most common term for those who have labored with him in the gospel in some way. Paul's priority was unashamedly the proclamation of the gospel in the context of relationship. I've had some people that, um, that I know, friends that I've known that say that, you know, that, that um, building relationships for the sake of gospel proclamation should not be so. That we should, we should just go proclaim um, the gospel on the street corners to people we have no relationship with. And I go, you know what? If that God's calling you that, go ahead and do that. Because God can use anything. But I don't know how they could deny that, but look at the scriptures. That Jesus was constantly in relationship with those that he was proclaiming the gospel to. Paul was constantly in relationship with these people. There's actually no risk in sharing the gospel to people that we're not in relationship with. It takes all the risk out of it. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. So the second principle is the priority of gospel proclamation. Paul's priority was unashamedly the proclamation of the gospel in the context of relationship. And even though Epaphroditus' mission was to deliver the financial gift, it was also to support his long-term friend who has a priority of gospel proclamation. And then he calls Epaphroditus, my fellow soldier. My fellow soldier for the sake of the gospel. Probably because Epaphroditus um, was wounded while on mission to serve Paul. It says that Epaphroditus was ill and he was near death. Paul's probably referring to the common danger, the common toil, the common suffering that he shared with Epaphroditus in the mission field. The church had a relationship with Paul and sacrificed deeply for Paul's ministry of gospel proclamation. The third principle the priority being sent. The priority being sent. He describes, Paul describes Epaphroditus as the church's messenger the church's minister, uh, messenger sent on behalf of the congregation to perform a given task which was to bring this bag of money to minister to Paul's needs. You see Epaphroditus was a messenger sent to take care of Paul's financial needs. So verses 26 and 28, why was it necessary for Paul to send him back? All three, all three reasons were relational. It was for Epaphroditus' sake, it was for Paul's sake, and it was for the church's sake. Verse 26, for he has been longing to see you. He was homesick. Epaphroditus had a relationship with the church. He wasn't running from the church. He was being sent from the church. He had a relationship with his sending church. He wasn't going out on his own or on the other extreme. He wasn't just sent and forgot about. He was part of the local body in Philippi that was sent and not forgotten. He wasn't out of sight and out of mind. He was longing to see them. He was homesick. I have no idea how long he was gone. It was an 800 mile trek from, from Philippi to Rome. I don't know. How long does it take on donkey and, and boat? It takes a long time. And he got sick. He was ill to the point of death. He was gone a long time. He wanted to get back. I, I've tasted that just a little bit in being in Nigeria just for two weeks. I just was looking forward to a piece of fish that didn't taste fishy. And a paleo brownie instead of a pounded yam. But he was, he was gone a long time. And he, was, he wasn't simply longing for a warm bed or some type of, of, of Aegean cu- cuisine. He was longing for his church family. And then beyond that it says that he's been distressed. He's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. What really distressed Epaphroditus was not the fact that he was sick. It's the fact that he knew that they knew he was sick. And they didn't know if he was going to die or not. They didn't know if he was dead. He was distressed because of other people's distress. And that's just just a side note. That's good. When Paul says he, was, he, was, uh, he became weak so they could reach the weak, I feel like that's what he was talking about. That we're to be distressed and sorrow, and grieved in other people's distress. But Epaphroditus was, was, uh, Paul was sending him back because he was distressed, because he feared that the church was distressed. And I know this is hard for us to understand in this day of cell phones and instant messenger and WhatsApp and all that stuff, but some long-term missionaries would tell you. I mean, you, you go away to see back then, there was no way of communicating. No way of communicating at all. So you might have a question here. It's a question I had. Well, how would they know that he was sick? Well, back then, when, when you traveled, you didn't travel alone. You traveled with, with a group of people. And my guess is, it's just a guess, it's just speculation, is that this group went out, Epaphroditus had the bag of money to deliver to Paul, and there was a group of people that went with him. And when he got sick, when he got ill, when he was uh, 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 near the point of death, somebody went back and told the church. That's a good thing. But that made Epaphroditus even more distressed, that they knew that he was sick, and they didn't know if he was living. A reminder, this is a letter to the church that is being read to the church, that Epaphroditus showed up on the church's doorstep, I'm back at the Sunday gathering. Would somebody read this letter? Paul wrote a letter to you. And it's, there's no, no email, no text, didn't, know, didn't post it on Facebook. Uh, there's, 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 a, there's a scroll, there's a, there's a parchment that this letter was written on. And I can only imagine the reaction of the congregation. Just put yourself in the congregation's shoes where they were missing Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was missing them. It was a reunion that probably they were apart for months. And imagine when this was read. And Paul says to the church, through this letter for he's been longing for you all and he's been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed he was ill he was near death. But God but God had mercy on him and not only on him but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Church you had reason to be concerned. You had reason because he was near death, but God, but God had mercy on him. And I can, I can envision a hush that went over the entire congregation that just, just erupted in praise for the God who had mercy on Epaphroditus by saving his life. My wife and I were talking about this. Isn't God always merciful? God is always merciful. Even if things don't turn out the way that we hope they turn out. But there's something about understanding when God preserves somebody's life that is um, headed towards death or God does something that's miraculous that that is his extra mercy. And we're to acknowledge that. But God had mercy on him. The congregation erupted in praises for God of all mercy who chose to save Epaphroditus' life. And the other reason that Paul sent him back that it was necessary that Paul sent him back was for Paul's own sake but God had mercy on him and not only on him but on me also Paul said lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow here's his type A personality let's charge the hill there's going to be some casualties but Paul said God had mercy on me I'm already in sorrow I'm in prison probably some friends put me in prison I want to get out so I can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't know if I could handle one more sorrow. But God had mercy on me, so I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. You know, so far in this short letter, Paul has reminded us to rejoice, to be joyful six different times. And you might think that, well, well, Paul's now talking about that he didn't want to have more sorrow on top of the sorrow he already has. How could he? He's a hypocrite talking about people to rejoice when he's just wallowing in sorrow. Sorrow and joy are not opposites. That, That sorrow comes from the reality that we live in a fallen world and there's brokenness and there's pain all around us. And we can rejoice in the midst of sorrow and grief because of who God is. Because he's loving, he's good, and he's sovereign. So joy does not mean the absence of sorrow. I just want you to know, can you feel a relationship? Can you sense the relationship the church had in sending Epaphroditus, that he's one of their own? Can you feel Epaphroditus' love for the church and the longing to be back with them in his distress because the fear that they might be distressed? Sorry about that, I know I've got a loud mouth. <laughs> and then Paul says this, he says, I'm more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I might be less anxious. Paul? What are you anxious about? He's anxious because he knows Epaphroditus wants to be home. He knows Epaphroditus is distressed because of the possibility of the church being distressed. He knows that the church is longing to have Epaphroditus back, and he's anxious because he wants a reunion. I've just tasted this just a little bit in a familial kind of way, just even with, with Joey and Brittany being back. Like, oh. Uh, stop it. Um, Joey and Brittany are in Kansas City. My other kids are here in Colorado. In Colorado, we get, we get to do a lot of life together. And they long to be with Joy and Brittany, and Brittany and Joy long to be with them. And for me, it's just like, like I'm anxious because I just want them to be together. It just feels right. And I just have been able to sit back the last couple of days and just watch them with their reunion. And I'm less anxious because it's just, it's just happening. And there's a sense, there's that familial feel in sending somebody and having them long to come back and having a reunion. Paul isn't eager to send Epaphroditus back because he's a distraction to Paul or he's of no service to Paul. It's just the opposite. He's a dear brother. He's a fellow worker. He's a fellow soldier. He's a great encouragement and blessing to Paul. Yet he was eager to send him back for both Epaphroditus' sake, for the church's joy, and so that Paul would be less anxious. Verses 29-30. So Paul says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Receive him in the Lord. Rejoice. Praise God for bringing him back. Everything we do is in one way, shape, or form in the Lord or from the Lord. It's no accident that he's come back after completing this mission. Praise God from whom all blessings come. Then he says, honor such men. Honor such people. Such honor is not drawing glory away from God. I know we get uncomfortable with that. Like uh, honoring any particular man or woman. What did he honor Paul? What did did Paul want Epaphroditus honored for? Verse 30. For he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. First of all, what was, what was lacking in the church's service to Paul? We, we can't see that in the passage. There's a part of you goes, wow, did, did the church in Philippi drop the ball? They didn't. They were willing. They just had no opportunity. We see that in chapter 4 verse 10. They weren't lacking willingness, just an opportunity. It says, so that he, Epaphroditus, might make up for your absence, church, and thus minister to my needs as you have not had the opportunity to do recently. You see, the church, the the people going to the Czech Republic, they are not representing themselves. They're representing Windsor Community Church. When the Delventhals go, when the Claps go, when the the Templemans go, they're going and greeting the church in Czech on behalf of the church at Windsor Community Church. You see, the, the church had desired to send gifts to Paul, but they were unable to do so. What was lacking in your service to me? Until Epaphrodite has stepped up and said, You know what? I got nothing better to do. Lost my job, fish aren't biting. Send me. Send me. Honor those. When you look at verse 30, Honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. I don't think what Paul is talking here is to honor only those who nearly died for the work of Christ, but to honor and celebrate those who are taking risks for the work of Christ. What is the work of Christ? The work of Christ, first and foremost, is gospel proclamation, The work of Christ is most clearly seen in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. I'll read it one more time. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves. Follow this pattern yourselves, which was found in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, Epaphroditus put on the mind of Christ. He took on the humble life of an unsung servant. Epaphroditus is one who followed the example of Christ in his service of the gospel. What Paul is underscoring here, the people that, that he says we're to honor are those who are taking risks for the work of Christ. And in America, we're not going to die. So what does risk look like here? You know, we're accustomed. I'm accustomed. I've actually done this. And I'm not, I, I'm not honored for it. It shouldn't be honored for it. I should be called a dunce for doing this. But I took business risks where we lost everything. And in America, we're accustomed to taking career and business risks. But when it comes to taking personal risks related to one's love for Christ and His people, we aren't as eager. You see, folks, in our sending of people and in our going, we we should have a priority of relationship and a priority of the gospel. And relationship often proceeds or precedes conversion. And there is no risk in sharing the gospel in our American context outside of relationship. Think about it. You know, I can get on the plane and I can share the gospel with somebody I'm never going to see before. Why is it so much easier for me to share Christ in Nigeria? Why is it so much easier for the short-term mission team to share Christ in the Czech Republic? It's because the people that we're encountering are far from Christ, we're never going to see him again. But here, our next-door neighbor, whom we love, whom we're watering their plants, whom we're feeding their um, wretched cat, you should let that cat starve. We should... But we love, we're reaching out to them. I will, sorry. Um, There's no risk in that. Everybody wants to be served. Where the risk comes is when we open our mouths, when I open my mouth, I'm going to say me, when I open my mouth, and I say, we love being your neighbors. We love you. We love everything about um, you guys and the way God has made you. We're happy to um, water your plants and we're, we're okay with feeding your cat. But I just want you to know. I just want you to know that I'm a product of the risen Christ. That anything good in me that you see is a result of God's spirit in me. And there's nothing I want more for you than to be brought back into a right relationship with the God who created you. That's risk. That's risk. And that's what Paul's saying here is that what, what, what I've learned over time, I learned that in my home, I learned that here, is we celebrate what we value. And what Paul is saying here is you need to celebrate this man, Epaphroditus, who took massive risks so that the work of Christ could go forward. And it wasn't just that he took a bag of money and almost died but he sacrificed so that Paul's proclamation, his ministry of proclamation could go forward. There's nothing riskier than proclaiming the gospel to those we have a relationship with. If you have experienced that in any way, shape, or form, I want you to nod your head. Is it scary? Parents, neighbors, People at the gym. Nobody's going to hurt me at the gym. They're worried about me dropping a kettlebell on my own head, but they're not going to hurt me for sharing the gospel. Listen to Paul describe this tension between relationship and the priority of gospel proclamation. 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23. I read this last week as well. For though I am free of all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Paul knows that he can't save anybody, but he knows that God wants to use him. Verse 20, to the Jews I became as a Jew to win Jews. I ate their food. I went to their parties. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. That I might. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you wanna share in, in the abundant blessings? Now am I off? So, okay, it must just be the wax. The, that if you wanna share in the blessings, the happiness, that, that there's no greater happiness than sharing Christ with people and watching God do the work that only He can do. It's good to serve others and meet their temporal needs. It's good to have a relationship with those who do not worship the one true God. We are to love and care for others unconditionally. However, if our going and our sending doesn't have the ultimate goal of gospel proclamation, then we're missing the heart of Christ. I've heard some say this heretical statement is preach the gospel and sometimes use words. don't believe it. I understand the heart behind it. They're saying serve without expecting anything in return. Preach the gospel. Speak the gospel. Share the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21 will end on this. Paul, why, why, why are you doing all this? Paul, you're getting thrown in prison. You are in prison still. Would you shut your mouth? You're getting you're getting beaten. Why do you do all this, Paul? And Paul responds in verse fourteen: For the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ compels us, because we've concluded this: that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for he died for all. Why? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What does that mean? Paul's Paul saying that he's no longer impressed with position and power of people, and he's no longer content in simply trying to meet their temporary needs. Is he going to meet their needs? Yes, but he doesn't regard anybody according to the flesh. When you think of Salvation Army, what do you think about? I think about an organization that meets the temporal needs of people in a very profound way. Over, over the decades. And William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, has this quote. He says, if you leave a man socially rehabilitated but spiritually unconverted, you've what? You've done him no lasting good. What a cruel joke that is. To spend all of our money, all of our resources, all of our time in clothing, and feeding, in housing. Oh, do we want to do that? Yes! But without the ultimate end of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, what are we doing? Let's join Rotary, a good organization, doing good things. But they're not the church. The church has one thing different than any social organization, and that is that we have the only truth that can set the captives free from the power and the shame and the guilt of sin and bring them back into a right relationship to reconcile them to the Father. Verse 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ you're a new creation. The old has passed away the new has come. Period. Go on and live your lives any way you choose. Nope. Verse 18 all this is from God. It's from God. It's a gift. It should compel us who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. That is, what is that? It's in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You see, we don't have a ministry of reconciliation until we hold out the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. That should be so freeing. All we got to do is, is live our lives in front of people open our mouth as the spirit leads and god's going to do the work therefore we are ambassadors of christ god make his appeal through us we implore you on behalf of christ be reconciled to god for our sake he made him to be no sin to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god you see brothers and sisters the more that we taste and see that he's good the more that we understand the love and the character and the promises of our risen Christ, the more we're going to want to tell others about it. No, if, 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 if this is resonating in your heart in any way, God doesn't want you to go home and just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go, I guess I need to go next door. Start in two places. Start by praying for those that God has put you in providentially in proximity with. Pray that God would give you the courage. That's how Paul prays. He says, pray for me that I would have the boldness to share my faith. And then pray pray for those opportunities. And then just marinate and know that God is good. Understand that you are an enemy. You are a rebel. You are running the other direction. We preach that all the time here. It's all over God's word. I don't know that we believe it. That you and me we deserve hell. That's the bad news. The good news? We ain't getting it. We ain't getting it. We're getting something that's so far opposite of that that we're in Christ. We have a relationship, the most intimate of relationships with the God who created us. And the more that we marinate and saturate ourselves in that truth, the more compelled we are to go share the love of Christ with others. It's passages like this that have informed our mission strategy at WCC. And I'm going to just take two minutes and then we're going to invite the worship team up and just remind you what our mission strategy is here. Um, we, um, if you show that slide up there, um, really a simple slide. Where, where most of us want to operate, where I want to operate is in the bottom left-hand corner. Where it's just transactional. Where I can chuck a little bit of money at it do a little service project and just hope that everything works out. I'm glad Jesus didn't do that. Just yell from heaven and say, everything's going to be okay. But he condescended. The word became flesh. He came down, Emmanuel, and dwelt with us. And he still lives with us. And that's, we're to pattern in our lives and in our ministry, in our mission, top right-hand corner is to deep dive into relationships. Czech team is deep diving into the Czech Republic that we've had a relationship with since 2001. Freddie and, Paul, and, Freddie and, and uh, Daniel have been here and preached. Bob and Gita, you saw him on the screen a couple weeks ago. And there was something, um, how many of you actually met Bob and Gita when he was here a couple years ago? Raise your hand high. Wasn't there just something about seeing his face on there? saying Hello, Windsor Community Church. That just went, wow, I love that guy. We're connected to that guy. And my wife said, we're talking earlier, and she said rightly, and I agreed with her. Then I paused, and and I, I disagreed. I don't normally disagree with her. Usually just say yes. As you wish. Uh, but she said, you know, she says, it's a good thing that, she says, I'm so glad that people that are going to the Czech Republic are getting to go again, you know, and a second time, maybe a third time, and so glad that you've gotten to Nigeria four times. And I go, yeah, that's good. It's, it's good. But actually, it's not best for the church. What's best is, is that, that um, Scotty goes to Nigeria. Prophecy it's got to go to Nigeria. The the, the, the Robersons go to the Czech Republic because the, the more people in this body that are exposed to, you see, the church in Philippi knew Paul. They all knew Paul. It's hard to come back from a mission trip and to share the heart of what you felt and experienced and touched and tasted. So, sorry, Czech team. And sorry, pastors, because I haven't ran this by you. Um, but but actually, it's best that the same people don't go back um, 10 years in a row. It's best because we'll have more of a connection as a church. And I would love it if somebody else were to go to Nigeria next year and the year after that. And I'd love it if we could get Bob and Gita back here. But that's our mission strategy. Next slide, and then we'll pray, is I just wanted to remind you of this, is that... um, that we have a budget here at WCC of about $560,000. 17% of that goes right into missions. Every dollar that you give the WCC goes right off the top of the missions um, at the expense of every other ministry. Um, and that would be at the expense of my salary and the other pastor's salaries. We're not going to touch that, actually, because that's um, we've got to put our money where our mouth is. And the way that's broken down is 55% of it goes to church planting, 20% um, locally, which invests in the uh, uh, foster children in Weld County, um, the high school, and things like Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And the 25% that goes across cultural right now, it's um, supporting uh, Bob and in Nigeria, Sunday and Blessing in Nigeria, um, uh, Daniel and Freddie in the Czech Republic, um, also the cross calls for all. We use part of that money to send the leader of a missions trip. So it's actually paying for um, Chris Hewitt to go to the Czech Republic. And it paid for me to go to Nigeria. Also, we've given some money to the black family. They're getting, we're getting ready to send them off to Nigeria. So I just show that to you just as a tangible way that we, we are the church. And we want to continue to send people. And one last thing. Where are these ideas born? Okay. I'll guarantee you. We're ne- I'm, you'll never hear me or the other pastors coming up here on a Sunday morning go, You know what? We were in a pastor meeting on Wednesday morning. We had the map out, and the Lord wants us to start doing ministry in Iceland. It ain't gonna happen unless the Lord burdens the Morgans or the Robersons or the Carricks for Iceland. And they have a heart there, they're invested there. They may even go there. They'll go, you know what? They're part of our church family. God in His providence has brought them here, and God in His providence has given them a heart for that particular culture, so we're going to get behind that. It's really peaceable. It's really peaceable. And our prayer is is that God would use you to go. You may not be going to Czech Republic. You may not go to Nigeria, but go next door. Go in your workplace and take a risk when God prompts you to share the glorious news of Jesus Christ, the only news that can bring your neighbors and coworkers and gym members your family, into a right relationship with the one who created them. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, the beautiful truth of reconciliation. God, that um, when, we, when we look at the span of history, God, we know that we were created in uh, your image. And we were created for a relationship with you. And we know, God, that because you are a holy and just God, and because of our uh, ancestors' first sin, that we have all been... Inherited a sin nature. That because you are holy and just that you can have nothing to do with your creation. We thank you, God, that you so loved us. You so wanted a relationship with us that you, from the beginning of time, um, foretold that, that Eve's seed, the seed of Eve, would one day come and crush the serpent's head. That one day there would be a Messiah who would come, the sacrificial lamb, the pure, spotless lamb, who would, who would um, lay his life down. Lord Jesus, we praise you for us. That you who knew no sin became our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And we thank you that even though we continue to sin, that you no longer see us as sinful. And God, I pray that the glorious truth of reconciliation, God, that would, would just compel us to want to be, to live out our calling as ministers of reconciliation and hold out the message of reconciliation. And God, as we do that, as we risk relationship in doing that, God, I pray that you would put yourself on display. Would you save many? Would you embolden us, God, for your glory? Not for our glory, not for the sake of this church, not for the sake of Crossway, but for your namesake. May many people become worshipers of you because of the boldness that you will give give us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you. We thank you that you loved us first. And we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please stand as we continue.